Good morning. Uh, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark as we continue our series in Mark. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay, because we have uh, it also right behind me. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Mark 5:21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt it in her body and she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is the reading of God's word. Please be seated. I'm going to grab my water really quick. I left it. My son's ashamed of me. He said, literally, Dad, literally. Adults make mistakes too. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that you would help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear. uh, That uh, if our hearts are stubborn, that you would make them soft. And that you would bend our our wills and our minds uh, to uh, render service to you. To see Christ revealed in in these pages of your, your word and to see how it is that um, you bring glory to yourself and how you heal uh, us in our, in our greatest weaknesses and you help us in our greatest needs. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So some, sometimes things happen uh, that we don't understand, that we can't really comprehend. Uh, a couple, well, this was in the last uh, year, but near our house there was uh, a race that happened, and, and two cars, they, they blazed down uh, a, a road that's 45 miles an hour. They were going a lot faster than that. And they, uh, two male drivers, like uh, testosterone-fueled guys often are, right? They're racing, they're raging, and they, they're speeding so fast. And 
uh, one of the cars crashed. None of the passengers died, but they did impact another vehicle. It had two teenage girls in it, and one of the teenage girls died. So we can't comprehend why events like this happen. Why did God let this innocent girl die, and yet this guilty guy, right? I mean, he was the one speeding. He was the one who shouldn't have been doing what he was doing. Why does he get to live? Why did God let that happen? And I think this is one of those it's not fair scenarios in life. It's not fair, God. I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that. If you've seen something in the world that went wrong and you're going, it's not fair. Why is it that way? It shouldn't have happened. So today uh, we're going to look at another it's not fair moment. It's not fair, God. And as we look at that, um, this scenario, it's with a daughter and a woman. I think we're going to see how this it's not fair moment tells us something about who God is. Um, and, and how he, he shapes, he works everything for his own glory and others' good. And so if you're taking notes this morning, uh, we only have two points. Uh, it's, it's not fair, it's the first one, and, but God is always good, is the second one. So it's not fair. Now, Jesus is back in the town of Capernaum. He crossed back over that narrow sea. And remember, we've seen him calm the wind, the wild... Uh, the crazy storm that happened. We've seen him, uh, when he was on the other side of the sea, he cast out a whole legion of demons out of a man, rescued him. So now he's back in Capernaum, and we're about to witness another set of miracles. So, verse 21. When Jesus crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. Just one pause. I, for some reason, I want to say Jairus. I don't know why. But if I say that, just think Jairus, okay? I'm not I'm just going to say that because I keep, all week I've been stirring over this. Like, it's kept me up at night. Jairus, Jairus, just say Jairus. But for some reason, I want to say, say Jairus. So anyways, it's Jairus uh, by name. Seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter's at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so she may be made well and live. And he went with him. So like every good father, this man named Jairus loved his daughter, loved his little girl. And he wanted what was best for her, and she was really sick, deathly ill, and he wanted her to live. And so he knew that Jesus was capable of healing the sick, and so he goes to him. Now Jairus was someone who belonged to the religious leaders. He was a man who uh, was one of them. He was an elder in the synagogue. He had so much to lose, right? Because we know that at this point in the, in the Gospel of Mark, the religious leaders were not exa- necessarily fans of Jesus. So he, he risked his reputation. He had so much to lose by coming to Jesus. But notice how he comes to Jesus. What does the text say? It says he fell down at his feet. I mean, this is a man who's throwing away reputation for the sake of his little girl. Because he wants his little girl to live. Um, So Jesus went with him. It's a simple phrase. Jesus is continuing this work that he set out to do. He's coming to help people in need, to heal the sick. uh, And and he he does this because he values people. Like last week we saw Jesus uh, is about human dignity. He's about human flourishing, right? 
So he's come as the doctor for the sick. He's touched the leper and he healed him. He has told the paralyzed man to get up and walk. And what happened? Did he get up and walk? Yes, come on. More confidence than that. Bolstering, yes. A little bit louder. Yes. Yes. All right, there we go. Got some work to do, people. Wake up. It's Sunday morning. All right, so, uh, yeah, so he, he, he touches people and, and heals them. And so people knew this about him. And, and for, um, for those of you here who, who have heard very little about who Jesus is, know this, that, that Jesus is a healer, that he is able to heal you of what you're in most need of healing. Verse 24, it continues, though. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who suffered much under many physicians and spent all she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She'd heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And you probably picked up already on something that it opens up with this 12-year-old daughter, and then now there's this woman who has how many years of a discharge of blood? 12. So that's no accident, right? There's a, there's a significant connection there. A lot of uh, commentators will label this as a Markian sandwich. What is a Markian sandwich? Well, that is, uh, you know, the, the first story is a piece of bread, and then, you know, whatever you like to put in your sandwich, I don't know if you like a Reuben or if you, whatever, you know, or if you like uh, just classic uh, BLT or whatever. But that, whatever's in the middle of that sandwich is the second story. So you have the first story, and then you have this other story about this woman. That's like the meat of the sandwich, and, or peanut butter and jelly, if you like peanut butter and jelly. Right, Michaela? Yeah. Um, and then the bread is, is the other one. So what I'm trying to say with this is, is, we have a story before us, and then Mark all of a sudden adds another story on top, and then he concludes by revisiting the first story. So it's a sandwich, right? Does that make sense to everyone? Yeah, sandwich. Um, and so, so uh, these stories are really related. And as, as people who are kind of distant and far removed from this story, or both of these stories... We can see that. We, we get the connection. Okay, 12 and 12, and we see it's a sandwich. Okay. But can you imagine all of this from the perspective of Jairus? From a father's perspective, what's happening here? I mean, he just got down on his knees and begged Jesus, heal my daughter. She's sick. And Jesus agrees, and they get started on their way. I mean, you can probably imagine Jairus just like jumping for joy. You know, his heart is filled with hope. My daughter is going to be made well. This is so good. You know, Jesus is going to heal her. Everything's going to be okay. And then all of a sudden, there's this pause that happens, this interruption that happens, this woman who, who all of a sudden steps into the scene and kind of ruins it for Jer- Jairus. I told you I was going to do this. Ah. So, suddenly, this interruption happens. Suddenly, hope begins to fade. Suddenly, the future looks black. It looks grim. So suddenly, someone else's needs matter more than Jairus' daughter's need. I think maybe the closest parallel to this in our own experience is whenever we have to take a trip to the ER, emergency room. So 
Earlier this year, my wife ended up taking me to the emergency room. And like everyone else waiting there, right, we wanted my need to be met and my, my need to be seen. We needed a doctor as quickly as possible. But the thing about emergency rooms is everybody's in there for an emergency, right? So certain needs are prioritized over others. So sometimes we have to wait. And, and here's the thing. Jairus' daughter was dying, right? She was, she was on the brink of death. The woman with a discharge, man, she lived for 12 years like that. She, it wasn't necessarily an emergency room situation per se, right? She could go on at least a few more days. Jairus needed Jesus right now. It's not fair. And you want to know what else isn't fair? This was a woman who, who, who shouldn't have been there in the first place. I want to explain that. So in, in this time, in, in, this, in this day, this, the kind of discharge that she had made her religiously unclean. In the Old Testament, the place where people worshipped God, it was holy. And so holy that, that simply by touching stuff inside the tabernacle or the temple, it, made, it, it would make you holier. It would make you uh, transmit holiness, essentially. So you, uh, you can see Exodus 29, 37, or Exodus 30, 29, or Exodus 31, 13, for examples of that in the scriptures. But physical touch, it transmitted holiness. And conversely, physical touch also transmitted uncleanliness. Because this woman had a constant hemorrhage, she could never get clean. So that meant she had to stay outside the temple. She could never worship God. She was an outcast in this culture, in this society. She was unclean. And, and so notice in verse 26, it says that she'd gone to many doctors. I mean, she spent every single penny that she had. Went to all the shrinks and doctors and nothing worked. And uh, she could not get access to worship God. She was religiously unclean. But she's also poor because she ran out of money trying to find the cure. Socially, culturally, and religiously, she's an outcast. It's not fair. She's a nobody. So this outcast woman, that she should receive special attention from Jesus is sort of appalling, right? Um, we can understand why Jesus might help a synagogue ruler. Right? This is a man who has some influence. Uh, people looked up to him. So uh, by Jesus helping this synagogue ruler, this elder in, in, in a church, essentially, uh, you know, it would have brought more attention to the cause of Christ. So we can kind of be like, okay, so that makes sense why you might bring special attention to such a person. That's exactly where I would look to bring special attention. But to heal a woman like this filthy woman is, with an incurable problem, I think that upsets our religious impulses, doesn't it? It makes us a little uneasy. It's kind of contrary to the way that we would do things. Verse 30, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who'd done it. So let's think about it. Jesus didn't need to stop, right? He could have just kept going. Uh, he could have set his face like a flint and, and gone to heal Jairus' daughter. Instead, he slows down. Instead, he stops. If I were Jairus, I'd be going, it's not fair. Because we need to hurry. My, my daughter's going to die. It's not fair, Jesus. 
And it's not fair that my daughter's going to die for somebody like her. I don't know what sort of person fits this description in your life. I don't know who each of you think who should belong and who shouldn't belong. But I'll say this. In Christ, even outcasts can become sons and daughters. In Christ, even nobodies can become somebodies who are worthy of attention and affection and love. So the disciples, they, they, they question Jesus' question, who touched my garments. They're going, you got a whole crowd of people who are squeezing and pressing and, and, and touching. You know, it's like a mosh pit, essentially. And you can't tell whose elbow's touching whose elbow in a mosh pit. Everybody's just squishing you, right? Anybody ever been to a, in a mosh pit? I know some of our leaders, we had a meeting this week, and I think I asked that question, and only a few people had ever been in a mosh pit. There's one person that I'm going to take in a mosh pit. We got to go. Just do it. Anyways. Um, who touched my garments? That was the question. So why ask the question? But Jesus is capable of discerning and singling out the one from the many. He specifically, particularly cares about the one. Like the, the, the good shepherd who, who goes after the one, leaves the 99 behind to, to, to go after the one. Jesus sees this woman's need and meets it with his healing power. And just by touch of his garment, right? Twelve years of shame and guilt and punishment and feeling like an outcast just disappears. It goes away by a single touch. It's not fair, and yet, who among us can say that God's grace is ever fair? Who, who will say God's grace is fair? The good news of the gospel is, is precisely that it's not fair, and that's why it's good news for us, right? Right? On the cross, Jesus got what we deserved so that we could get what he deserved. Or as 1 Peter 2 says, by his wounds you've been healed. The one who's innocent died for the guilty. The one who was well gave up his own life for the sick. Trades places with the sick. And so the gospel is good news because God decided not to count our sins and trespasses against us, but instead laid them upon his own son. The gospel is not fair. If we want fairness, then we get justice. If we want forgiveness, then we need the gospel. Right? The gospel is big enough and it's good enough to be true for more people than just ourselves. And that's because God's always good. And I want us to think about that now. God is always good. So even in those it's not fair moments, God is always good. So the woman she just got healed. She's singled out. She's now found out. Jesus asked this piercing question, who touched me? Let me say something else about this woman uh, that we, we, we should not overlook. This woman had heard about Jesus, that, that he was this great healer. Right? He was known for healing people. Remember, this is a woman who spent every penny trying to get help. And the whole healthcare system had failed her. Nobody could cure her. She heard people were touching Jesus and were being healed, so she seeks him out to get what she needs. But did you notice that she does not go to touch Jesus? Right? She says, even if I touch his garment, I will be healed. 
She touches his garments, his clothing. And I think what the text is trying to tell us here is that she views Jesus as a practical, magical object, right? Kind of like rubbing a Buddha belly or dropping a penny or a nickel or a dime or a quarter in a, in a wishing well and making your wish. That's kind of what she's envisioning Jesus to be, that he's some kind of magical object that will just transmit healing. And so the thing about touching Jesus, his clothing here, is that it actually worked, right? Rubbing the Buddha belly actually worked. And uh, her 12-year-old problem went away simply by touching it. She was cured. But Jesus says those words, who touched me? Those can be frightening, frightening words. Oh no, Jesus. Oh no. If I, if I speak up and I tell the truth, is this healing going to go away now? Or will he tell me to go away since I did this in the wrong way? And probably got many others contaminated by my, my, by my uncleanliness. How does Jesus respond, though? Verse 33, he says, verse 34, but, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So like Jairus, this woman falls down before Jesus and, he, and she, she tells him the whole truth and nothing but the truth. She shares how long she's tried to get better, how she spent every nickel and dime and penny with doctors trying to get help. And she's tried every essential oil that, that others have recommended. And she's tried every diet and exercise program. She's tried every stretch and new age thing that you can possibly do and every diet and nothing has worked right nothing healed her like jesus healed her now jesus response is absolutely surprising instead of dishing out the punishment that she deserves instead of throwing it in her face that she didn't come to him like jairus jairus there it is like jairus did Instead of scolding her for treating him like a magical object, right? Jesus gives her not guilt, but grace. He extends to her not more law, but gospel. In that moment, she's fully known. She's exposed before Jesus. She, she tells the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And yet what she finds is that she's fully loved. He says, daughter... He welcomes her now as a daughter. Your faith has made you well. So this outcast woman becomes a daughter. This outcast woman becomes part of the family. And we see that the reason Jesus stops her and pauses on his trip to Jairus' daughter is so that this woman can encounter not a something, but a someone. Not a potion, but a person. He wants for this woman not only to have her needs met, to be, but to be in his presence, to be fully known and fully loved by him. Jesus wants this kind of personal encounter for you and with you. There are many people today who feel the kind of shame that this woman had 
that she lived with for 12 years. There are many people who feel impure and guilty, and for whatever reason, maybe it's sickness, maybe it's sin, maybe it's your doubts, maybe it's a sense of not feeling good enough. Many people feel cut off, the, cut off from, the, from church. Many people feel like this woman, like an outcast to church. One pastor I know uh, told a story about a cussing heroin addict who showed up at his church. Her name was Anne. Now, Anne, she lived a hard life. Her, her scars and needle streaks on her arms bore witness to that hard life. And she came to church one Sunday morning because the rehab center told her that that helps patients stick with the program. So that's why she came to church. And so she did. She dropped off her two boys in the children's program. She went to service, and then she went back to pick up the boys, and she heard a report. You know, your boys have been breaking toys, and they've been starting picking fights with other kids. And in response to that, Anne, she shouts an expletive, just comes right out of her. I won't say it. Right in front of a bunch of parents and a bunch of kids. She's embarrassed, she's full of shame, and she leaves. And so the the children's person, though, she writes a letter to Anne. She writes a letter and she says, says, you know, no harm, no foul, essentially. It's not a big deal. Uh, she, She explains to her that church is actually a place that's for broken people. That, that church is supposed to be the place where you can wear your heart on your sleeve, and that by her modeling that and, and kind of just being who Anne was, it showed this other children's ministry leader, that's how I ought to be in church. And so thank you, you just taught me a great lesson about what church is really about. Anne actually came back to church, and the reason she came back to church, she said, was, these are my people, and I want their God to be my God too. That letter spoke to Anne, and she eventually became the nursery director for the church. Um, What an incredible story, huh? God is always good, and he's in the business of making unholy people holy. All you need to do is touch them. All you need to do is give up, give him your empty hand of faith, and he'll fill it with his holiness. He'll take all of your feelings of unworthiness and replace them with worthiness in and through his son. Because through faith, when God sees you, he doesn't seem a he doesn't he doesn't see a embarrassing failure or a great success. He sees his son. And his son was good enough. His son was perfect enough. His son takes your place and replaces it with his perfection. As Colossians 3 says, you've died and your life is hidden with God in Christ. It's a great verse. God wants to take away your shame in Jesus Christ. God wants to take away your guilt in Jesus Christ. God wants to take away your pain in Jesus Christ. So touch him in faith like this woman did. Reach out and grab hold of Jesus by faith. The one who's ready to change your status from outcast, town outcast, to daughter or son. So this is a a story of amazing grace because this daughter is now restored to the family of Israel, 
right? She was an outcast, now she's an insider. She was an outsider, now she's an insider. She can once again be part of this community, and in Christ, outcasts become sons and daughters. In Christ, unclean people, broken people, become clean and repaired. In Christ, empty people become whole. In Christ, ands are given second and third chances. I don't want us to miss this because I think that the main thing that Mark is trying to teach us this morning is this. God the Father's love for you is like Jairus' love for his dying daughter. Jairus risked his own reputation. He put everything on the line, right, as a synagogue leader to be humiliated by all of his good friends and buddies gave all of that up because he cared so much about his little daughter that she would be healed. That is exactly the posture of God the Father in the gospel for lost sons and daughters like you and like me. That he, he, he Jesus, right, gave up and risked everything, gave up his own reputation, experienced humiliation to suffer, live, and die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus put everything on the line for us, just like Jairus, but Jesus went all the way to the cross. Philippians 2 says of Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so with this woman who who trusted in Jesus alone, we can together say, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. She knew it that day. Do you know it today? She learned it that day. Will you learn it today? Let's pray.